Good morning. Black sheep of the family. Anybody heard that statement? That idiom? Oh, most of you heard of it. Let me illustrate that here for a moment. And this is, this is a true story. I've got a friend who's got three kids. The oldest one went to the university working on his PhD. Next one went and um, studied medicine at some institution. She's, I think, finished her residency. And when I visit their home, guess who they're talking about? Their son, the next one, their daughter, but the third kid. Also went to Adventist uh, Academy. Unfortunately, while there, she got involved in drugs. By the way, you can find drugs almost anywhere, you know that. Got involved in drugs, became an alcoholic. When I visit the family, do, you, do they talk about her? Nope. They don't want to talk about her. It's tough, tough for the family, especially because the husband and wife are wonderful, Bible-believing, Seventh Adventists, active, working for the Lord, giving their money away to projects. They love the Lord. They love Him. And they find it so difficult, almost impossible to talk about the third kid. And it's gotten even harder now. Because, because that third daughter, not too long ago, came home with her partner, Did you get what I just said? Her partner was a she. Okay. Do you understand what I talk about when I say black sheep of a family? Anybody know of a family that has a black sheep? It might be yours. Don't be afraid. A lot of hands going up. You know what I'm talking about. They are all these good kids. We're talking about do good. Imian, thank you for the emphasis here. And we have this difficulty, and we're afraid to talk about it. You know, but what's interesting, when I go to the Bible, and I'm glad to see so many of you brought your Bibles, open your Bibles today, when I go to the Bible, I find out, fascinatingly, that God is not afraid to tell us about His black sheep of the family. As you open your Bibles here, we're going to have a word of prayer. Open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, we're going to have a word of prayer, and I'm going to then share with you an incredible story from the Word of God. Let's pause here. Holy Father, bless us now as we open your Holy Word. May we understand and learn important lessons for our lives so that we can better reflect the compassionate Jesus, our Savior. In His name we pray. Amen. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 38. As you heard, my name is Ron Dupre, and the title of our message for today is... From mercy, sorry, from mercenary to merciful. From mercenary to merciful. Genesis 38. And this chapter is a fascinating one, and I'll tell you why. I was talking about this not too long ago, and a man in his 70s, I think he was like 70, 72 or 75, came to me, 76, just remember. He came to me and said, you know what, Ron, when, when, when we were kids, our parents used to read the Bible through Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and when they got to Genesis 38, they always skipped over the chapter. They never read it to us. And we were kids, we always went, what is this chapter that my parents don't want to, what their parents don't want to tell us about? And we would go and read it, we'd sneak the Bible out to go and read the chapter. So I'm glad you guys are older here. We don't have to skip the chapter. Now, Genesis 38 is an interesting chapter. Go back to the previous verse. Chapter 37, verse 36. Chapter 37, verse 36. Now, the Midianites had sold him. Who, they, who are they talking about? 
and sold Joseph in Egypt to part of an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard. And then what do you expect the next verse to start telling you about Joseph's life? It's not there. Skip chapter 38 and pick up chapter 39, verse 1. Go to chapter 39, verse 1, and notice what it says. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian body from the Israelites who had taken him down there. Same thing. Isn't that true? The end of chapter 37 is repeated in chapter 39. Interesting. Chapter 38 is what I believe a divinely directed digression intentionally interrupted story. How many of you have been, have been interrupted while you've been speaking? Raise your hands. Anybody here? Okay, next question. How many of you love to be interrupted? I didn't think any hands. But you know what's interesting? Have you ever told somebody a story and in the middle of your story you say, oh, by the way, I remember seeing so-and-so there and you switch your story and you start talking about so-and-so and after about five minutes you say, oh, what was I telling you about? And you go back to your story. Anybody interrupted yourself? Uh, a lot of hands going up. We don't mind interrupting ourselves. I think we're kind of interesting creatures. You don't interrupt me, but I'll interrupt myself, right? And here is an intentionally inspired interruption in the text. And you can see that there. Sandwiched in between the Joseph story is the story you're not supposed to read to kids. Chapter 38 is a tough story. If you read it, and we're going to go through it rapidly, I want you to go home and read the rest today uh, when you have a chance. Uh, obviously, our time is very limited here because I know there's a thing called lunch coming up soon, and I believe I have about 30 minutes. Is that right? 3-0, and you can be my timekeeper. Give me a three-minute warning. Amen? Appreciate it much. Now, let's pick up with chapter 38, verse 1, with this divinely directed digression, a deliberate digression. Chapter 38, verse 1. It came to pass at that time that Judah departed. The King James says, Judah what? Judah went down, right? And that's correct. Judah went down from his brothers and visited a certain Adolamite whose name was Hira. By the way, you get into verse 12, and it says, Hira, his friend. He's leaving his family. And the big question is, why does Judah leave his family? Does anybody know why Judah leaves his family? Hmm, fascinating. Go back five or six verses before that. That's to chapter 37, verse 26. Chapter 37, verse 26. Joseph had been taken, thrown into the pit, and uh, notice, they look, the brothers look, and by the way, he's starving, and they're going to leave him there to starve to death, and along come Ishmaelite, Midianite traders. By the way, Ishmaelite and Midianite is like an African-American or an Asian-American. It's the same kind of people. You find it in, Ju in Judges chapter 8, verses 22 to 24. They identify the Midianites with the Ishmaelites. Same group of people. All right, so they look up and they see these guys coming. Now notice, by this time, Judah's mind had been whirring and he was thinking, man, I can't leave my brother here. He began to have second thoughts. Reuben was gone, trying to think what to do. And while Reuben was away, he was the oldest brother. Notice what, Joseph, uh, what Judah does. Verse 26, so Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Wait a minute. Who was the one who suggested that they sell Joseph? Judah. And by the way, how much did they make? Did you know how much they made, by the way, in today's currency? Major bucks. You know what they actually made on average? When you work at what the shepherds earned back then, the shepherds earned two pieces of silver for three months of work. Three months of labor. And each one of the brothers, they sold him for how many pieces of silver? 20 pieces. Each brother made three months of salary instantaneously. Three months of salary, maybe $10,000 each 
on an instant sale. They made a lot of money on selling Joseph. Remember that. This wasn't just a, two pieces of silver. This is $10,000 approximately. If you're earning about $3,000 or so per month, 10000 bucks each. They sold their brother for $100,000 on the slave market. And remember this, by the way, slavery in Egypt was a fate to be feared worse than death. So, they, so Judah says, let's save our brother to do what? So that our blood, his blood will not be on our hands. Let his blood be in the hands of the Egyptians, those cruel people. Let's sell him into slavery, a fate worse than death. Is Judah being nice? Absolutely not. And of course they get back home. Once they get back home, they uh, basically lie to their dad. Oh, we think that he was uh, torn apart. Here's the coat and so forth. His dad didn't have forensic science to check and say, uh-uh, this wasn't a wild animal, this was a goat, you, you liars. He didn't have the science. There was no CSI back there, nothing. Their dad believed them, okay. And once their dad believes them, what do they start? He starts mourning. You go to chapter, that same chapter 37, pick up verse 34. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and he mourned for his sons many days. Verse 35, and all his sons and all his daughters, including Judah, obviously, arose to comfort him. But he, Jacob, refused to be comforted. And he said, for I shall go down to the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him day in and day out. And guess who do you think feels the most guilty? Who do you think? Judah. He's the one who said, sell him. Let's get rid of him this way. Judah. So here he is, saturated with guilt. And instead of Judah, by the way, when you're guilty, what should you do? Run away? That's exactly what Judah did. He said, I've got to get away from my dad. I can't stand to be around him. He's crying. We tried to get rid of Joseph, and instead Joseph was constantly being reminded through my dad's mourning, constantly, never stopping. Can't stand to be around somebody who's weeping because of what I had suggested. In Judah, instead of saying, sorry, dad, I'm guilty as charged, or rather guilty, <laughs> you didn't know that, Judah goes and he tries to find a way to quell his guilty conscience. Let's pick up the story. We're going to go through this rapidly. Notice what he does. Verse 2, chapter 38, verse 2. Judah saw there, he had gone there not far away, about 12 miles away. He saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he married her and went into her. He literally just took her and he went to, and he, got, he, this is a Canaanite. Wait a minute, a Canaanite? Were the Israelites supposed to marry the Canaanites? No. Here he contacts a conjugal relationship that is against what God wants. And when Judah left his home, in essence, he was forsaking the faith of his fathers. He was abandoning the belief of his brethren. He wasn't just leaving home. He was giving up on his faith completely. And here he is. Judah now is looking for a way to quell his conscience. So he goes and he marries outside the faith. And of course he makes a friend of Hira. We'll get to that. And notice verse 3. So she, Shua, conceived and bore a son. And, and he, notice, and he called his name Ur. Back in Bible times, who was the one who was supposed to name the kids? The father. It's right there. He named his son Er. It's interesting, Er. Er. Good boy. We'll get to that in a minute. Verse 4. She, she was a daughter, conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. By the way, that's correct. Some a uh, more paraphrastic Bible, don't say she, but it's actually she called his name Onan. Judah didn't even name the second son. Keep going. What happens to the third son? Verse 5, and she conceived yet again and bore a son and, and called his name, again it's she, called his name Shelah. Why? Because Judah, he was at Kasib when she bore him. Judah was three miles away. He didn't even come home for the birth. In a nutshell, Judah was one of those absentee fathers. He didn't care for his kids. How do we know that? He raised rebel sons. The evidence is right there in verse 7. 
But Ur, Judah's firstborn son, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. This is the first time ever you have divine judgment, direct divine judgment on an individual, and the Lord killed him. Man, it doesn't say why. It just says he was wicked. Now, by the way, people are wondering, why is this, this kind of sandwich story? Right there, interrupting, intentionally inspired interruption. Why does the story interrupt the story of Joseph? Interesting question. There are many, many parallels you can find. Contrast. Yes, Joseph, what, did he go to Egypt by choice? Yes or no? No, he was taken down. Judah goes down. Interesting. Number two, repeatedly in the Joseph story, you'll find in chapter 39, for example, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Eight times. You get to the Ju Judah story, the Lord is clearly against him and his family, basically. And, and there's, uh, there are reasons for that. And as we study deeper, we'll find it fascinating. More than that, when it comes to uh, Joseph, he flees from sin. Uh-uh, we'll get to the story of Judah. A radical different story. Total contrast. But let's carry on. So what happens now? So the firstborn son is dead. Now, there was a custom back then. And I'm going to ask uh, how many of you would like this custom. If the oldest brother dies and has no son, Brother number two, if he is single, please notice, not if he's married, if he's married, he's off the cuff. If brother number two is single, there was a strong cultural requirement. It wasn't a moral requirement, but the culture said, if your brother dies, then you need to do what? Marry the widow. And, and not just marry the widow, the firstborn son of, of, of your brother's former wife, he's dead now, that firstborn son will not be classified as your kid at all. Legally, nope. Biologically, yes. But legally, he is classified as the son of your dead brother. Now that had implications, because back in Bible times, back in Bible times, the oldest brother always got how much of the inheritance? Anybody know? Not all. A double portion. A double. So if, if, if Judah uh, had... Uh, Four million dollars. The oldest brother, Ur, would have gotten how much? Two, right. Onan would have gotten one million, and Shelah would have gotten one million. You get that now? But because Ur dies, he doesn't get two million dollars, and now Onan is told, go and get married to Tamar, and the son will become the inheritor of the two million dollars. Ah, and Onan thinks, no way, no way. I'm not going to have that son get the two million dollars and he does he marries tamar but the bible says he made sure that even though he was married to her and even though he had conjugal relations to her he practiced what we nowadays call coitus interruptus he made sure she never got pregnant he was using the woman bottom line you read the bible and some of you are thinking why is this story in the bible it sounds like the sad sick soap opera of the scriptures doesn't it like, oh, is it, is it just juicy gossip? Why does God put the story in the Bible? Question, what does the Bible say? How much of Scripture is inspired of God? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for instruction. Huh. What, where do we learn from this story? Hold on, we're not done yet. Don't leave yet, okay? We've got to finish our story. Otherwise, you're thinking, this is a weird story and more weird sermon. Why are you preaching on this? We'll get to that in a moment. So hold on, guys. This story is in the Bible for a very, very important reason. More than one reason. But so what happens? Onan uses Tamar, and this thing is wicked in God's sight, and it says, and the Lord took his life as well, because he was so wicked using women. Guys, don't use women. Are you listening to me? Okay. 
don't use women. This is heinous in God's sight. <clears throat> I see the women smiling. <laughs> Let's carry on. Pick up our story. By the way, Judah is now afraid. He thinks, man, this woman has bad luck. And so what does he do? He says uh, to uh, the, the, the verse 11, Verse 11, then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, go back home. Remain a widow in your father's house till my son Sheila has grown. For he said, this is parenthetically to himself, lest he, Sheila, also die like his brothers. She, he didn't want her to get married to the youngest son. He was blaming her. And so, of course, she doesn't believe, she doesn't know he's lying to her. She goes and she stays back home, stays with her father until Sheila grows up. And she's waiting, and Judah doesn't give Sheila to her. It's a sad story. It's a story of a guy who had totally drifted away from the Lord, and he was living his own life, trying to quell his conscience instead of confessing and making things right with his dad. Now notice verse 12. Now in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. Judah had many challenges, many problems, because he was living outside of God's favor. And she, uh, Judah's wife dies, and Judah was comforted and went to his sheep shearers at Timnah with his friend, Hira the Adolamite. At the beginning... He didn't call him his friend. James chapter 4 verse 4. Put your hand in the Bible, in your Bible right here. And we'll come back to Genesis 38 and pick up the story. But just let's go to James chapter 4 verse 4 briefly here. And then a comment on 1 Corinthians. Just a caution, young people. I know this age group is between 16 and 19 officially. And uh, so I do need to mention something here as a caution. James chapter 4 verse 4. The Bible says, the last part of the verse. First part says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is what? Enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself what? An enemy of God. Here, Judah had forsaken the faith of his fathers. He had become an enemy of God by making this close friend of Hira. And incidentally, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, write this verse down. We don't have time to go to it. But 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33 says... Be not misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good what? Character. Be careful. Don't get into the wrong crowd. Back to Genesis chapter 38. Let's pick up our story there and continue. And of course, we find here that he makes friends with this guy, Hira, and he goes now to the sheep shearers. By the way, sheep shearing time was basically party time. Okay? They were getting the fruits of their labor. They are going to shear the sheep, get all the wool, and they were right now party time. And when... Tamar hears about it. She says, aha, I know what kind of a man my father-in-law is. I know where he is in his mind and his thinking. I've been around him long enough. He hasn't given Sheila to me. He's a deceptive old man, and I know what kind of a guy he is. And so Tamar takes off her widow garments, and she dresses herself. The New English Bible says she perfumes herself. And the Bible says she dresses like a woman of the street. Verse uh, verse. Uh, 14, so she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil, wrapped herself, wrapped herself, that's in the New English Bible, wrapped herself with perfume and sat in an open place which is on the way to Tumna, for she saw that Sheila was, not, was grown and not given to him. Verse 15, contrasting with the life of Joseph who ran from temptation, when Judas saw her, he thought she was a what? A harlot. Because she had covered her face. Back then harlots had shame, by the way. Prostitutes covered their faces. Then he turned to her, by the way, and said, Please let me come into you, for he did not know she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, What will you give me that 
you may come into me. And he said, I will send you a young goat from the flock. I will send you a young goat from the flock. He's making a promise. Does she believe his promise? She had, he had promised beforehand to give his son to her. Now he says, I'll send you a kid from the, from the flock. Does she believe him? No. So she says basically, and by the way, he doesn't know who she is. So she basically said, okay, but, but, but hold on, hold on. What pledge will you give me? Will you give me a pledge? And, uh, and he said, I will send you this. So she says, will you give me a pledge? Verse 18. Then he said, what pledge shall I give you? So she said, your signet and cord and your staff that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her and he went into her. And the Bible says, and she conceived by him. Your signet and cord and your staff. Back then, what was a signet and cord? By the way, I spent some years in Korea as a student missionary in the Far East there. And they had a dojang, which was your, 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 the way to let people know who you were. Okay? And when she says your signet and your staff and your cord, in modern language she was saying, okay, I want your credit card and I want your driver's license. That is the modern equivalent. And Judah, the man who's trying to quell his conscience, is so bent on pleasure, he says, no problem, ma'am, I'll give them both to you. And he gives her his driver's license and his credit card. Pick up the story down to verse 24. And it came to pass, about three months after, that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child from, by harlotry. So Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. What do you think he reacted so instantaneously and so judgmentally? What did they say? Three months before. What do you think must have flashed through Judah's mind? Three months before. Wait a minute. He knew what he had done three months before. Ah instantaneous judgment and condemnation contrasting with Joseph who forgives beforehand Judah condemns beforehand trying to get rid of the evidence but Tamar is not a Christian not a believer but she's a wily woman a wily wicked woman but she says okay and she doesn't go to him she takes the credit card and the driver's license she says uh, please pass this on to him and, and, and she says um, notice here so she says, verse 25, when she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law saying, she sent, she didn't go in person, she knew she shouldn't do it, she was a wise, wily woman, a wicked one still, by the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, please check out, determine whose these are, the driver's license and the credit card. Aha, Judah is facing a choice. He was the patriarch the leader of the clan, the father. Think about this for a moment. Could Judah have not at that moment said, oh, I should have known. For several months now, I have been hunting high and low for my credit card, my driver's license. I should have known. She marries my first son, he's dead. She marries the second son, he's dead. And by the way, nowadays when the first wife dies, they sometimes say accidental death. But when the second wife dies, they make an investigation. You know that. I've heard of a policeman they're checking out now. Second wife dies, and he, said, he could have said, oh, I knew she was the problem. I should have known she would have stolen my driver's license and credit card. Take her out and not only burn her, but first stone her so she can suffer a little more. And then while she's barely alive, burn her to death. Did he do that? Pick up the next verse. Judah is facing reality now, and he has a choice. Verse 26. So Judah acknowledge them. By the way, if there's a lesson, verse 26 is packed. You have an entire three-part sermon there, or three sermons. There's, there are three A's in that verse. And I want you to take note of it. 
the first way to have a turnaround in your life if you're struggling with anything is number one, you do what? Acknowledge. Don't find excuses. Let's say you've got the problem of weight. And I heard of the comment here uh, about weight. So let's say you, you, you're weighing uh, um, at least twice as much as you know you should be weighing. And you, don't, you, you have a hard time recognizing that. And you say, you know, I, I'm blessed with a superabundance of adipose tissue. Ah, excuses. The first thing you have to say is, I'm what? What's the word? I'm what? Thank you. I am what? I am fat. Recognize it. I'm fat. Hey, I've got a problem. Not, not, I happen to be the one of the few people that can keep the supersized store in business. Don't find excuses. I, the, I'm guilty. He acknowledged them. So Judah acknowledged them. Uh, he acknowledges, first one, first A, acknowledge. And then he said, she has been more righteous than I. Or the, the Hebrew idiom section means, she is in the right and I'm in the wrong because I did not give she, uh, to Sheila, my son. I, I, I'm wrong. So you, you acknowledge, yes, I am fat. And then you admit, the reason I'm fat is I don't exercise enough and I eat too much. Okay, that's the reason I'm here. But the third point is important. So number one, acknowledge. Number two is what? Admit. Acknowledge. I got a problem. Admit why I have the problem. And notice part three in that verse. And it says, and I love the way the New International Version puts it. The, uh, the New King James says, and he never knew her again. Third A, you acknowledge. What's number two? You admit. Number three, you act. You act. You acknowledge, you admit, you act. And Judah acts on it and he never sleeps with her again. And here is the beginning. This is a hint uh, and a hope for a heart change in the life of this rebel son. What happens after this? Well, suddenly now the, the babies are born, twins of all things. Two of his kids have died and now he gets twins from his, his sons are his grandsons. Interesting. Okay, that's what the Bible indicates. Yeah, his sons are his grandsons. But we have to fast forward a few chapters, skip over the story of Joseph. Let's go to chapter 42. Because as we study the story carefully, and again, I'm moving rapidly. I've done an eight-part series on the life of Judah. We're packing all eight in here. That's why we're not going very slowly today. Chapter 42, verse 3. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain from, from Judah, who, by the way, had drifted away from the Lord and who had lived this rebellious, horrible life. Now it says Joseph's ten brothers. Joseph is in Egypt. How come there are ten brothers? Does that include Judah? Go to verse 4. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest calamity befall him. Aha! Benjamin stays home. Joseph is in Egypt. The ten brothers go together. What does that mean that happened to Judah? What had Judah done? What had Judah done? He had come back home. Judah had returned to the faith of his forefathers. Clearly he had come home. Now you're saying, oh, you're imagining it. No, 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 let's pick up the story. Let's hurry on to the second time they have to go down to chapter 43. And I want to show you Judah's life is changed now from a young man who is running into sin to a young man who is now converted. And now he begins to actually, those two words that you have in your t-shirts, what does he do? He begins to what? To do good. It's fascinating. And I see this in the story here. Chapter 43. Now the famine is severe, verse 1, in the land. And it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to him saying, The man. They didn't know who the man was. 
The man solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. Judah has come back home and Judah is now becoming a leader in the family. Judah is appealing to his father saying, dad, we got to go. We got to go get some food so we can all stay alive. If we don't go, we're all going to die. Judah is actively trying to do something to keep the entire clan alive. He's not just trying to keep out of sin. He is now trying to save life and trying to do good things for the family. By the way, the previous chapter, the end of chapter 42, talks about Reuben. Reuben was the oldest boy. Reuben was supposed to be the one who was the leader, but Reuben was a strange character. Because Reuben said to his dad, Dad, you know, basically, I'm paraphrasing, I'm the oldest boy, send Benjamin with me, and if I don't bring Benjamin back home, you, Dad, you know what you can do? You can kill my two sons. Huh? What did you just say, Reuben? If you don't bring my one son back, I can kill two of my grandkids? Are you nuts, Reuben? That's Reuben's reasoning, by the way. I'm not joking. Reuben is weird, and he's the oldest boy. Father says, no way, I won't send them with you. You're nuts. I sent Joseph down the first time, and you were the oldest brother, and he never came back. Now you want to send me to send Benjamin with you. If you don't bring him back, I must kill two of my grandkids. How many grandparents will think that's a good idea? But that's Reuben's reasoning. That's Reuben, by the way. Now Judah, who has come back home from living a life of sin, comes back home, and he says, Dad, trust me. Trust you? you the guy who made your own daughter-in-law pregnant? Trust you? Judah, Judah, are you serious? Yes, Dad, trust me. And he goes further. Let's read further, verse 8. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die. Both we and you and our little ones. You know, three generations. I myself. Judah doesn't say, Dad, if I don't come back, you can kill my two grandsons who are also my sons. You can do that. No, no, he doesn't say that. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. This man is such a transformed man. Yes, they haven't made everything right. By the way, some of us, we're still on our journey. Judah hasn't yet confessed and said, Daddy, I'm guilty. I'm the one who said, sell Joseph. He's alive, but he didn't even know he was alive. At this point in the story, Judah had no idea that the man who spoke to them so roughly was the very Joseph they sold into slavery. He had no idea. So he says, but, but I'll take responsibility, Dad. Judah has been transformed from this rebel who raises his horrible sons to now saying, trust me, Dad. And Jacob has seen so much of a transformation in Judah's life. He says, okay, I trust you. I don't trust the oldest boy. You're the fourth born. I trust you. Take the boy with you. Go to the next few verses here. Verse 13, take your brother also and arise and go back. Verse 14, and may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. Uh, other brother, that is Simeon. Remember they, the governor, Joseph, had kept Simeon right there in prison. He said that, that this governor may release Simeon and uh, that Benjamin may come back. Then he ends and says, if I'm bereaved, I am bereaved. And they go back. And you know the rest of the story, how Joseph gets the silver cup put into uh, the bag of Benjamin and they grab them. Let's pick up in chapter 44 now. And they take them back to be slaves. You know the story of Joseph so well. I want to finish the story with Judah here. Verse 16. Notice, by the way, verse 14. It says, And Judah and his brothers came to Joseph. It doesn't say the brothers. The, Judah is the leader, folks. Judah has been transformed from the sinner to an active participant in trying to save his family. It says, Judah and his brothers. Verse 13. Then Judah said, Shall we speak to my Lord? Verse 18, Then Judah came near and said, Now Judah even comes closer to the governor, almost like when you're in, have you seen the court cases? When they say, uh, Could I approach the bench, Your Honor? 
Okay, this is, this is Judah, not knowing who the, your honor is. Can I, can I come and talk to you privately? And right here from verse 18, I want you to read it at home, from verse 18 to verse 34, it's the longest speech in the entire book of Genesis. The longest speech. By whom? By Judah. Incidentally, how many of you have heard at least one sermon in your life on the life of Joseph? One sermon. Let me see the hands. Just about everybody. Next question. How many of you have heard at least one sermon in your life on the life of Judah? Raise them high. One, two, three, four. I can count them. Less than ten. And yet this is one of the most fascinating stories. Not just juicy gossip. No, no. Not the six-sided, sordid, sad soap opera. No, of scripture. This is an incredible story because the story's not over. And that last speech of Judah is incredible. So we've got to hurry on because Judah says, by the way, verse 20, and, and we said to my Lord, remember, governor, um, we have a father... An old man, a child of his old age, who is young, his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children. Notice, his brother is dead. Judah is speaking to the governor and says, you are dead. Did you read that? That's why this is an incredible speech. He says, this, this lad has one brother and his brother is dead. Imagine you standing there. Joseph must have had a double take. What? I, I, I guess I'm alive. I just heard what I said. And his brother is dead. His brother is dead. Okay. He doesn't, he carries on, left, he, is left, he alone is left of his mother's child. And notice the rest. And his father, his father, Jacob, loves him. Folks, Jacob was still playing favorites. Still playing favorites. But Judah has been the transformed man. And Judah is saying, I know Papa still plays favorites, but you know, that's okay. I love my dad. And he gets further, go down to with me to verse, verse 31, and he, and he says, it will happen when he, my dad, my papa who plays favorites, when he sees the lad is not with us, that he will die. I can't have my dad die, no way. He loves this kid, he's still playing favorites, but I love my dad. Judah has been radically transformed, so your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. Now go to verse 33. Here's the capstone of the incredible story of Judah. Verse 33, it's easy to remember, because it's, Genesis, the first book of the Bible, chapter 44, for you mathematicians, 44, verse 33. It's like a substitution, you know, 4433, because this is the substitutionary verse right there. He says, Now therefore, please let me, your servant, remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brother. And remember, slavery in Egypt was a fate worse than what? Within, this is worse than death. Benjamin is considered guilty. Judah doesn't know that Benjamin didn't steal the cup. Judah says, I will take the penalty for this kid. Even though his father is still playing favorites, I'm willing to die for my baby brother. I promised I would stand, I would bring him back, I will die for my brother. Take my life instead. Wow! Judah's story is an incredible one. We've got to hurry on to the end of the story. Let's go to chapter 49. And of course, you know... Uh, Joseph reveals himself as he is Joseph. Chapter 49, the father is now on the deathbed. He's dying. And as he's dying, he's now giving his final uh, statements to his, brother, to his kids. By the way, as we look at the life of Judah, I love it because as we were talking earlier today, Judah moves away from simply avoiding sin. Judah moves to doing something active and something practical. And so now as we get to chapter 49, you'll notice what the father says. And by the way, he goes to the six sons of Leah. He ends at the end with the sons of Rachel. So if you look at the end, uh, chapter 49, verse 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, Jacob has five verses of blessings reserved for Joseph. He's still, he is still his father's pet. 
Okay, so he loves and he gives him a lot of blessings and then he ends up with Benjamin. Now let's back up to the very beginning of chapter 49 and he says, gather you sons of Jacob, verse 3 now. Reuben, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the beginning of my strength, the excellency and dignity of my power. And notice verse 4, unstable as water. This is the guy, remember? Kill, kill your grandkids, so you're, you're nuts, you Reuben. Unstable as water, you shall not excel. Because you went up to your father's bed. Oh, he was immoral as well. He slept with, with uh, one of uh, Jacob's uh, whim, wives. He slept with him. And you went up and you went up to my couch. You defiled it. Verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling. Let not my soul enter that council, etc. Verse 7. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce and their wrath that is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. By the way, those are the boys that really were cruel. You go back to chapter 34 and you see what they did at other places. These kids were cruel. Imagine you were called to your dad's bedside. He's dying. And your father's final words are this. You wicked sons. Shame on you, Reuben, for going to sleep with my wife. His final words. That's Papa's final farewell. You're kidding. Now, some Bibles say Jacob's blessings. It's not that. My Bible says Jacob's last words to his sons. Whose Bible says Jacob's blessings? That was put in by translators, okay? That's not Jacob's blessings. I wouldn't feel blessed when my father says that to me. All right, you follow what I'm saying? Now go to the fourth son. Here is the beautiful verse 8. Judah, you, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. It's a pun, by the way. The name Judah, Yehuda, Hebrew, sounds like Yeduka. It's like if I'm Hispanic and I name my kid Ana Rosa, because she was born in Arizona. You get that? It's a play on words. Judah, Yehuda, you are here who your brothers will, Yeduka. Your brothers will praise you. All right? And, and your hand, that, that's praise. Your hand will be in the neck of your enemies. That is power. Your father's sons, literally, your father's children shall bow down before you. Hold on, hold on, hold on, Jacob. Are you getting senile? Are you, uh, do you suffer from Alzheimer's? That's the wrong dream. The dream wasn't for Judah. The dream was for whom? No, no, no. What is, Judah, what is Jacob doing? He is transferring the blessings from Joseph to Judah. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. They will bow down before you. Story's not over. But what's happening here? What's happening in the story? Incredible. Let's finish here. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you've gone up. He who bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who shall rouse him up. Now verse 10, the scepter. Who uses scepters, by the way? Kings. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him, with a capital H, shall be the obedience of the peoples. Who is it talking about? With Jesus. Jesus will come to the line of Judah. Yes, I know some of you, if you have to go, please, but, but give me two more minutes, I'll finish up. The good news of the story of Judah is that Judah now becomes the forerunner, not just of all the monarchs, but ultimately Judah becomes the forerunner of the Messiah himself. Now what's happening here? Notice, if you read the story carefully, nowhere at all does Jacob say, Judah, and he could have, you wicked boy. You were the one that sold Joseph into slavery. You suggested it. You went out and married outside the faith. You raised his rebel sons. Then you went and slept with your own daughter-in-law thinking she was a prostitute. Then you went to kill her. You wicked boy. Not a word. Nothing is said to Judah about his sins. Why does Jacob treat him this way? Jacob treats Judah as though he had never sinned because his sins were confessed and thrown into the depths of the sea. 
It's an incredible story. I love the story of Judah. This is the way God treats you and treats me when we come back, when our lives are transformed. We're not just running away from sin. We are now actively involved in doing good, in serving humanity. By the way, I wish I had time for a story. I just come back from Canada, and while I was there, I, had, I, I talked for two hours with the wife of this gentleman, Mel Boutelier. For 26 years, he's been there serving the community. Last year, through his efforts, Mel Boutelier, 81 years of age, he's had two heart operations. Uh, he's had two, uh, five hip operations. Okay, he's, he's just an incredible guy. He's out there serving, and, and now Canada is giving him the Order of Canada in recognition of 26 years of selfless service. A man in his 80s, his wife is 77 or so, and she's working full-time to bring bread home so that he can do volunteer service totally for the last 26 years. Doing good. And now the country of Canada is saying, this man deserves the order of Canada. The highest recognition in Canada because one man is out there. He started when he was in his mid-50s to, to do good in a little garage. And now they're serving thousands and ten thousands of people. A tremendous witness for the gospel. Do good. Let's finish the story. Skip now to the last book of the Bible. And I got a short appeal. I said two minutes. I got one minute left. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. Okay. That's fascinating. Why, why didn't Reuben, the oldest boy, the firstborn, why did not the firstborn receive the birthright? Why did not the favorite Judah, uh, Joseph receive it? The one who received all the most important blessings, the blessings of the monarchy, the blessings of the Messiah, Messiahship, was not Joseph the pettit, not Reuben the preeminent, it was Judah the pardoned. Judah who was forgiven and was living a transformed life. And here in Revelation 5 verse 5, the revelator is weeping. But one of the elders, verse 5, again, Revelation 5, 5, easy to remember, said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Reuben. Is that what your Bible says? The lion of the tribe of Joseph. Is that what your Bible says? The root of David, the lion of the tribe of whom? Of Judah. He has prevailed to open the seal. And I looked, verse 6, and I saw as a lamb who had been slain. The story of Judah is one that gives me courage. How many of you know somebody, maybe a friend, a kid in school, who left the faith, has left Adventism? Anybody know people? You see your hands. Many of you. Wow. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. Not just challenge you. I want to see. I'm making a special appeal here. Who of you would like to stand to stay today? Not for my sake, but say, by God's grace, I want to go out and reclaim the Judas who have, lost, who have left, who are lost. And maybe they can come back and be leaders in God's cause. Judah became a leader. And through the line of Judah comes Jesus. Incredible news, folks. Go out and find who is willing. When, the, when God opens a door, who is willing to go and find someone who is slipped away? A friend, a family member, a church member, a colleague, a student. Who is willing to stand? I only want those who are willing to do that when God opens the door. Not just your friends. You're willing to go out and reach out to others and say, come back. You want to do good. You want to reach out to people. You want to bring them back because they've slipped away. Praise God for you. I want to pray with you. Father in heaven, thank you. Many hands have gone up. They know people who've slipped away. They have made a commitment now to go and reach out because they know people. Father, there may be some of us who are sitting, we don't know anybody, but I'm going to pray that you will bring to their minds and hearts opportunities to reach out and do good. Thank you so much for this incredible story. Not just juicy gossip, but the justified, joyful gospel of Jesus Christ. The story of Judah. Help us not just to flee evil, but help us to do good. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.
This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.